Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right. Uh, So this morning, as we continue walking through the book of Daniel, uh, I want to reiterate something that I touched on last week just to make sure that we're all on the same page because I got some interesting questions. So first and foremost, uh, this series is not about politics. That, that, that's not what we're talking about, not talking about someone's political perspective or not talking about all the current policies that are being debated and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're also not suggesting what candidates to vote for or what candidates to not vote for, right? Been here 15 years, never done that, not going to start now, right? We always tell people when it comes to an election, pray, especially if you're a Christian, pray and then vote as the Holy Spirit leads you. So we're not suggesting candidates. We don't name candidates. Um, not going to happen. Uh, also, we're not suggesting anyone change parties because uh, we have had people say, well, you, you can't be a Christian if you're with that party because they believe this way or don't believe this way, or you can't be a Christian if you're with that party because they don't support this or they do support that. We're not telling anyone, we're not doing any of that. Not about politics, not suggesting candidates, not about changing parties. This whole series is about the people of God coming together and being in unity, right? Also remembering that we are ambassadors of God. We literally represent Christ to the world. If we call ourselves Christians, that's what we're supposed to do, and that we have a proper political response, regardless of who we voted for, regardless of what party we're associated with. It doesn't matter who's in the, the Senate or the House or the White House, right? That we have a proper unified response that reflects that we're ambassadors of God, all right? And the reason we're walking through the book of Daniel is because as you're going to see, Daniel kind of exemplifies this in spades. So um, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Daniel chapter 1. And last week, as I said, we only got through, uh, whenever we start a series, we only get through a couple of verses. So if you missed last week, you missed this kind of just summarizing the book of Daniel and why it's relevant to us, but we only got through two verses. And this week, we're going to start in verse 3. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, here's what it says. Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Asphanes, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, it's important. Um, it says Asphanes is chief of the officials. If you look in a lot of versions, it says he was chief of the eunuchs. And the reason why Daniel and many of the Israelites were under a chief of the eunuchs is because historically they were made eunuchs. Because if they're going to work in the king's palace, it wasn't like the king's palace and then a White House everyone operated out of or congressional building, they operated out of the palace. And anyone that worked for the king was made a eunuch so that they wouldn't hit on the queen, nothing would happen that would taint the royal bloodline, so to speak. Um, 
I don't think they do that in England today, but they did it back then, right? So all of the people that were brought in from the royal family and nobility, verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He, meaning Asphenes, was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, typically what the Babylonians would do is they would come in and they would conquer a land. Then they would take the brightest and the best from the nobility, right? They weren't taking the lower class people. They weren't taking the blue collar workers. They were taking the brightest and best from the nobility, best looking, most educated. They would take them. They would train them in the ways of the Babylonians. And then they would put them in office in the Babylonian kingdom. So when all of the nations that they took over looked up to see who was in charge, they would see someone who looked like them, believed like them, and thought like them. So then in their minds, they wouldn't be thinking, well, I'm enslaved, because they would look and see, well, I can't be enslaved because there's other Israelites, other Jewish people that are working in the White House staff, that are in Congress, that are in the Senate. So I'm not enslaved because there are people that think like me, vote like me, and look like me in office, even though they were literally, had been conquered and were enslaved, right? Verse 6 says, among these, the ones that they took and put in the three-year training, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, we don't, we don't, we don't do this today, but they had their nation taken from them. They had their culture taken from them. They had their land taken from them. They had their religion taken because they couldn't go to the temple to worship anymore. Everything that they knew was taken from them, including their name, which was a part of their identity, right? In addition to that, they also took their ability to to have more children, which was a part of their culture. A big part of being of the nation of Israel was having descendants and passing on land, passing on the name, passing on the traditions as the people of God. And all of that was taken from them. It's one thing when a government takes over. It's another thing when a government takes over and then takes everything from you, which is what happened to them. Then in verse 8, it says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And this is important because even though everything had been taken from him, he says, well, here's one way I can still honor God. And I'm not going to give this up. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And this is important. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, 
I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The King will then have my head because of you. Now, now here's the important thing, that typically what would happen is some people, when a nation came in and took them over, and then the Babylonians would take them, and they would offer them all these food and say, you're going to come work for us. Some people would go on a hunger strike. And we've heard of other people doing that before. They go on a hunger strike, even though they're a prisoner, as a way to say that I'm not going to give in. So this official was like, hey, if you guys go on a hunger strike, it's my head. And so what Daniel did is like, hey, we're not going on a hunger strike. We're not trying to get you in trouble. So here's, here's what I would like you to do. Just allow us to only eat the food that we can eat that would bring honor to God. And then test us for 10 days and see if we, if we look like we're in a hunger strike and then you're going to get in trouble, then we'll call it good. And so he did. So for 10 days, he said, hey, let's, let's, let's only eat the food that God allows us to eat, not all the things from the king's table. They found they were looking better because they were eating healthy foods. They weren't on a hunger strike. So of course they looked healthy. And so the official said, yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll let you honor your God in this way, because it doesn't interfere with our plans. And, and, and I want to point out something. This is, this is crucial, because what happened was they were taken, and they were put in chains, and literally dragged, and I forget how many miles it is. It's, I want to say hundreds, 900, it might be more, it might be a few thousand. I don't know how far it is from Babylon uh, to Judah. But they were dragged walking, they didn't get put on a train, plane, or bus, to another nation. While they were in that nation, their manhood was taken from them, their nation had been taken from them, their names were taken from them, and then they were told, now come serve us. And what Daniel said, what Daniel said is, hey, you know what? I could do what most of us would do, And what we've seen people do when there's a political situation that they don't like, like Daniel didn't say, hey, this is not my king, so I'm not going to serve him. He didn't say, I'm I'm not eating that nasty food, even though there's bacon there. It's probably delicious, and he wanted to, right? Because who doesn't love bacon? Instead, what he and his friends said, they did the thing. Hard to do this while in chains. They did the thing that this is all about. They showed unity, they said, we're still going to, we, we, we're all, us four, we're, we're, this, is, this is what we're doing. Any one of them could have gave in when he said, hey, if you don't do this, I'm not going to be, it's not going to be my head, it's going to be your head. But they stood together, they showed unity, they remembered that they were ambassadors of God. And even though they were in chains and so many things have been taken from them, they said, this is still a way that we can honor God and we're going to do it. And they gave the proper political response. They didn't curse out the official. They didn't say, hey, your political party sucks. They didn't say, he's not my king. They just said, hey, we, we see what you're trying to accomplish, but we, we're, we're going to try to uh, uh, abide by what you say, but we have to do it in a God-honoring way. And then look, look, at, look at what happened next. And verse 17, it says to these four, after they had been like, okay, you guys look great, you can continue honoring God, eating the way you want. It says to these four young men, God gave. And this is important. God gave them knowledge 
an understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God didn't give that to all the other people that had been taken captive and were in Israel. I mean, and were in Babylon from Israel. He gave it to the four young men that said, we're going to stand together. We're going to honor God because we're still, even though we're in slavery, even though we're in chains, even though there's a government in charge that is oppressing us, we are still representatives of God, right? Which is what we're supposed to do. And they said, uh, we're going to give a proper God-honoring unified response to the things that you are putting in front of us. And so God gave them, and this is specific, knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and bonus points, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Here's why this is important. God gave them exactly, if we go back to verse 3, what the king was looking for. Young men without defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace because he wanted them to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. God gave them exactly what they needed. And here's the thing that's hard for a lot of people to understand. Not to serve in a godly kingdom, but to serve in a kingdom that was opposed to the things of God. God equipped them so that they would be able to serve God, even though it was in a political environment that was opposed to God. Right? It says, and at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, which was three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They honored God, and so God used them to fulfill his purpose so that his will would be done. And then it says this, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters in his whole kingdom, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And when it says Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, it's not saying Daniel remained there um, in Babylon. It's saying Daniel remained there in service to king after king after king until King Cyrus came. And like we said last week, Daniel could have retired after Nebuchadnezzar and be like, all right, God, I've done, I've done what you've wanted. I've served a, a nation that was opposed to your will. I've served a king that was opposed to your will. I'm done. I'm going to retire. And as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, Nebuchadnezzar loved him some Daniel. He was, he was a fan of Daniel. He would have like, okay, you can retire. I'm going to put you up on a house on the coast. Uh, I'll give you a pension plan. You've done so much for me in my kingdom. You're good. But he didn't. He continued to serve in, in, in a nation and a kingdom that was opposed to God. And most of us, most of us today, because of the way our mindsets looked, if we bumped into Daniel on the street today, we would say, hey, what do you do? And he would say, well, I, I, I work in service to the king of Babylon. And we would look at him and say, and you call yourself a man of God? Because how can you be associated with that political environment, with that politician, 
with a person who puts forth these things that are opposed to God. And we would say that without knowing that God is the one that equipped him to be there. We don't get to look at people and say, hey, you're not a Christian because you're associated with this party, or you believe in this politician, or you voted for this politician, or you didn't vote for this politician, or you're not associated with this party. Because we have no idea what God is doing through those people. What we do get to do, right, is remember this. Because we all pray this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Raise your hand if you've ever prayed that before. We've all prayed that prayer. Here's the thing though. Have we truly submitted to God in that area and say, hey, we want your kingdom to come, but we also want your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if we want God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, shocker, spoiler alert, there's not a Republican party that's in charge in heaven. There's not a Democratic party that's in charge in heaven. There's not a Libertarian party. There's not a, a, a Green party. There's not a whatever the other 400 and some odd different parties that exist in the United States that are in charge in heaven. So if we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to be unified. And I'm not saying leave your political party, but while you're there, be unified, right? Remember that we're ambassadors of God and have a correct political response regardless of who's in the Senate, the House, or the White House. And everyone would be like, yeah, that makes sense now. November 8th, that evening, as we see the polls going and we see maybe the person and the party we didn't vote for get elected, we're all going to change. We're all going to be angry. We're all going to be upset. But we will still all claim that we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we acknowledge that probably one of the most contentious times in the United States is when the elections roll around. That's when homes are divided. Uh, that's when uh, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, friends and families literally almost want to go to war to defend their political party or the politician that represents that party. God, our prayer is that you would speak to our hearts and remind us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be unified, to remember that we are ambassadors of God. You didn't call us here to be ambassadors of a political party or of a politician, but to be ambassadors of your kingdom. And that regardless of who wins, that we put forth a proper re political response that reflects your kingdom and your will for your people in this nation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.
Amen. Amen. Uh, pray that you guys have an awesome uh, rest of your Sunday. Um, I, I have a personal prayer request. Pray for me. My laptop crashed. <laughs> Not been a fun couple of days. I still have a pounding headache that I've had for the last day and a half. So prayers would be appreciated. Uh, God bless. Uh, see everyone next week. Um, have a great rest of your Sunday. <laughs>